Have you shopped for groceries this week? Bought gas? Literally everything costs more. But there is one way to protect your budget and stay ahead of surprise bills. American Home Shield. They help pay when covered parts of home systems and appliances like your fridge, AC, and water heater break down. With three coverage options and easy monthly payments, there's a plan and price that's right for you. Right now, save $50 when you join American Home Shield. Visit ahs.com music or tap the banner to learn more. Service fees, limitations, and exclusions apply. See plan for details. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talk Star Radio Network. If you'd like to give us a call, our toll-free number is one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five. That is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii at one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five. My email address is exone at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and www.xzonetv.com. Before we get to my guest this hour, Doug Elwell, some uh, breaking news here. Michael Jackson's doctor gave him an ascetic before he died, reports say. Officials believe the prop, uh, propofol caused Michael's heart to stop. Now, uh, this is uh, according to M- I'm sorry, NME News. Michael Jackson's doctor allegedly gave him an antiseptic drug to help him sleep after midnight on the day he died, resulting in cardiac arrest, according to news reports. Dr. Conrad Murray apparently injected prop- propol to uh, Jackson regularly, according to law enforcement officials, despite the fact that the drug is intended only for medical anesthetic use and not as a sleeping aid. The official spoke to the Associated Press anonymously and said that the drug caused the cardiac arrest. Murray is named in the manslaughter investigation and has had his office and Texan storage unit searched by police officials. Police say he is not a suspect. Now, that line there just just drove me over the, over the wall when I read that during the news break. Because here you've got the doctor that injected what killed Jackson. You've got this drug that was inappropriately inappropriately used by the doctor to Jackson. And uh, please say that he is not a suspect. I, I just had to share that with you, Exo Nation. I find it totally ridiculous. Oh, only in America... My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Doug Elwell. 
and he is the gentleman behind Mysterious World. And Mysterious World is a quarterly online travel guide to exotic travel destinations around the world that focuses on providing you, the traveler, all the information you need to truly appreciate what these travel destinations have to offer. More than just any standard travel guide to standard travel destinations, however, Mysterious World focuses on bringing you cutting-edge information about travel destinations that have a certain mystery about them, which now I'm sure will include or should include Michael Jackson's home at Never Neverland. Uh, to this end, Mysterious World provides you with all the relevant historical, archaeological, and travel information, as well as biological information about famous people and artifacts related to these famous locales that you need to make your travel experience complete. And Mysterious World is more than a travel guide. It also is an online journal wherein writers can submit research articles and essays on various topics, such as ancient history, religion, and mythology, for publication. Now, if you would like to submit an article for publication or become a Mysterious World reporter, then contact our good friend Doug Elwell at publisher at mysteriousworld.com. And, uh, you know, you can visit Doug's website at www.mysteriousworld.com. When I come back from this two-minute commercial break, Doug Elwell from Mysterious World joins me here on the X-Zone. After all, this is truly a place where people... Dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I don't know, Exonation. This whole thing with Michael Jackson just gets stranger, stranger, and stranger. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine like hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining room can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you're visiting, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, old Florida cuisine at its best. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365.
Are you interested in the paranormal, ghosts, UFOs, or psychic phenomenon? Join me, Tim Bartley, co-host of Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, coming mid-January 2017 to the XZBN. We will channel spirits live and talk to them, revealing all kinds of amazing information. Spiritual attachments will be found and removed on the show, and so much more. To find out when you can listen to Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, visit www.xzbn.net for listeners on both sides of the veil. Doug Elwell is our special guest from Mysterious World. And hey, Doug, how are you? How are things at Mysterious World these days? Very good, thank you. What are you, pe- what are you people working on that is strange and mysterious? We're trying to do, uh, since last year we uh, started with the spring issue, we, uh, after a number of personal difficulties with it, I had to, I had to move it, had, I picked up a new job. Actually, most, it's mostly good and bad. Uh, we had to put off publishing the summer issue until this year. Mm-hmm. So we're picking up where we are, where we were last year with, uh, series of articles on Mysterious World Island, our book, and also a new series called The Exodus Revelation about the true location of Mount Sinai and its links with the uh, with the end times, possibly, as well as a series called The Lord of the Rings Cipher, which is kind of parallel, strangely parallel to the, to the uh, Exodus Revelation uh, series that we're doing, because we think when we're, we're researching Tolkien's works that he may have had a very deep understanding of human history and mm. wrote his books as a cipher to kind of encode his understanding of how things actually happened. So here we are looking at Da Vinci for a lot of uh, hidden clues, and Tolkien himself may indeed have written uh, in code as well. Yes, I believe he uh, he had a very deep understanding of ancient history, and uh, it's evident from my studies of Tolkien that he had an understanding of Mesopotamian cosmology, of Hebrew cosmology, Egyptian, Egyptian, mm-hmm. of course Celtic, uh, Germanic, and Icelandic, which was his favorite. And it's quite amazing. Uh, the deeper you get, the more you realize what a genius he was, because he was also an incredible top-of-the-line, one-in-a-thousand-years-level linguist who had the mastery of dozens of languages and Hebrew. He was actually a translator of, of one of the biblical, uh, one of the Bibles. I think it was the Living Bible or, or something like that. So he knew, he knew Hebrew as well and Greek. Mm-hmm. And by studying, and I'm a bit of a linguist myself, I understand Hebrew to a master's level. And by studying uh, the, the text in their original Hebrew, you can find out things that you otherwise would never see by reading the English translations. Little rhymes and, and riddles and little hints. Because some words are related to others that are not in English. They are in Hebrew. So you can get a lot more out of reading the Hebrew text than you can just by reading the English versions. Why do you think that some of these words and uh, the translations aren't exact as they should be, Doug? They're as, they're as exact as they can be. Remember, by definition, a translation is going to be different from the original, even if it's a faithful, pretty faithful conceptual rendition. There's always going to be some parts and, and nuances and subtleties missing. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the original text, whether Hebrew or Greek, there are little rhymes and little little riddles and, and hidden information uh, in the text that you cannot get in the translation because the, the idiom is different, the, uh, the, uh, the cultural 
differences in, in the cultural assumptions and the norms and the folk ways and the mores are all different. So you have to take that into account when you're looking at the English translation. I realized as, as a young man, uh, and later I decided to get a master's degree in Old Testament Biblical Studies in parallel with my master's of uh, marketing communications because I was going to a, a Christian college, Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. And I had enough uh, uh, points to get an additional master's in a, in a theology degree, and I always wanted to learn Hebrew and Egyptian hieroglyphics in a Kadian cuneiform. I only had a chance to learn Hebrew, but I, I learned a smattering of hieroglyphics and cuneiform. And I, ever since then, I've been studying it independently, and I've begun to understand uh, a pretty deep understanding of some of the more mysterious aspects of the mm -hmm. Old Testament. Now, Doug, when it comes to the uh, Mount Sinai, what is the the uh, the attraction these days with Mount Sinai? There are actually a quite quite a different uh, several different uh, theories on which one was the Mount Sinai. They uh, they range pretty much all the way up uh, and down the continent or the uh, subcontinent of because it's actually a peninsula of uh, of Sinai. Mm -hmm. and the most popular ones are Jebel, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Jebel uh, Musa, which is the uh, Jebel Catherine, which are at the southern tip, Jebel Serbel, and of course Har Karkom and Jebel Laws, which are actually over in Saudi Arabia. But in my opinion, the actual location of Mount Sinai is a a mountain called Serabit al-Kadim, which is a very mysterious uh, twin-peaked mountain in southwest Sinai, which fits the biblical text perfectly. Uh, this was actually uh, originally found by the Egyptologist Sir William Flinders Petrie in, uh, I think it was around 1904, when he first, it, was, it wasn't discovered by him, but it was first proposed by him, and most specifically by his uh, assistant, Lena Eckenstein, a, a woman, that it was the site of the biblical Mount Sinai, and it was very, uh, when I started reading this, I, I actually originally came across that idea, idea when reading uh, uh, Lost Secrets of the Sacred Ark uh, by, um, I forget his name, uh, another prominent writer, Philip Gardner. And his idea of monatomic gold I found very interesting as possibly the secret behind the power of the Ark. And I, as a kind of a, coming out of a more conservative background, I thought it was kind of an unusual idea. But I, being analytical and wanting to look at the idea, I realized I might as well just you know, run through the regular tests and see if it stands up. And actually, his idea of monatomic gold does stand the test because there are mentions of, of fine white powder in various places in the Old Testament related to the Ark and to the uh, the, the showbread and uh, other related uh, things having to do with the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle of wilderness. And that led me to a very interesting journey throughout the Old Testament where I uncovered a great deal of very interesting information having to do with the monatomic gold and the Ark of the Covenant, specifically the center of the Ark of the Covenant, which I believe was actually built around a much older artifact, which I'm calling the, which is a, was known in the Old Testament by a, by several different names. But it was originally an artifact that was left by God in the Garden of Eden as a means of communication. Hmm. With, with Adam and Eve, and they would use this to communicate with God when he was away. And it, it's, it's, it took several forms over... It, it remained the same for, throughout thousands of years, but it had several different names. The Egyptians called it the Eye of Ray, but the, uh, the Hebrews called it um, simply the... Uh, it was the uh, they didn't actually have a name for it. They, they called it the Levat Esh, 
which means the uh, literally means the milk fire, which is kind of a strange name for it. Uh, that's what it's, how it's described. The burning bush in the in the uh, the, uh, the Mount Sinai when, when Moses discovered the burning bush is actually called the Levat H, which literally means the, the milk fire. Between and it was said between it was in the midst of Senna, which means thorns. Now Senna is not the uh, thorn is not the word for thorn bush. It's actually a, a different word. Literally, it means thorns, and a description of a milk or uh, some kind of white object that is also red in between thorns is actually a very good description of the eye of Ray in, in Egyptian mythology. So my theory is that he actually found the same device that the Egyptians called the eye of Ray. It's a very old piece of technology which God had been using since the beginning to communicate with uh, with mankind, and uh, He gave this. It had been held on Mount Sinai for a very long time until the, he finally gave it to Moses, and, and they turned that into the Ark of the Covenant, basically making this device a portable device. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a stretch to talk about it you know, as a talking point. So we have a, a, a eight-part series called the Exodus of Revelation mm-hmm. to get into where, where, I, where I got this idea, the, the basic idea behind Sarabit al-Kadim, why that's Mount Sinai, and all of the, the mysteries of, of the monatomic gold, uh, and related, and, and Hathor, because the Hathor is a goddess closely associated with the Eye of Ray in Egyptian mythology. And this, uh, there's a temple of Hathor right by Serebid al Kadim. And Serebid was actually very, uh, it was a very well known mountain in ancient times because it was a site of a huge turquoise mine. Uh, it was also a major, uh, a major temple to Hathor, who was the, one of the most ancient goddesses of, of Egyptian mythology. And she, of course, had this eye of Ray, which she wore on her head, and which she was closely associated with it. And there was a said in Egyptian mythology when she became angry, the eye of Ray would shoot out light, it would shoot out uh, fire, and destroy her enemies. And uh, but it could also be used to heal or to communicate, because it was, after all, an eye, and she could use it to see long distances and communicate. And what I thought particularly interesting about that is that is many of the same things that the Ark of the Covenant could do. It would shoot out fire to destroy destroy God's enemies. It could also, it's not specifically mentioned in the Bible that it could be used to heal, mm-hmm. but, it, but it could be used to, to, to primarily to communicate, because the main purpose of the Ark of the Covenant was as a communications device between God and uh, the priesthood. And it actually explicitly says in the Bible that Moses spoke to God from between the cherubim. Uh, and it doesn't explicitly say so, but I believe that there was a device uh, in between the cherubim that was actually used to communicate. And that's what this device is, this ancient device, which has been going through human history for thousands of years and eventually ended up in the Hebrews, hands of the Hebrews. And they basically formed a, a gold gold box uh, they, they, played, they created a gold box in which to support it and uh, and be able to transport it because it, it was basically designed to be stationary and stay at this location but in order, God wanted to take it out of this area and up north towards Jerusalem so they created an arc port so they can make it a portable device uh, and that's that's basically where I'm at it's, it's, it's been a very interesting journey and we have a complete series called the Exodus Revelation, where we describe the backstory of this device and how it stretches all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, 
it shows up in various instances. It might have been the mark of Cain mm-hmm. uh, that he wore on his head, because it says in the, the mark of Cain, it says, whoever will attack Cain will be destroyed. Uh, they must They must die. You see, but that also raises another question. If Adam and Eve were the first two people created by God, and then uh, then Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. why, you know, that would only mean that Cain was on the earth with his mother and father only. Probably it uh, describes uh, only a, a handful of people who were originally created, and there may have been other races of people there mm-hmm. uh, in parallel. In fact, the archaeological record makes that clear. I'm a conservative, but I'm not. I'm not foolish. I, All right, uh, Doug. I, I hate I, to do this, but we have to take a commercial break. Please stand by. Doug Gallowell is our special guest this hour. www.mysteriousworld.com. Doug and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. one 877 is toll-free. My email address is exxon at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.exxonradio.com and xzonetv.com. My guest this hour, Doug Elwell. He is the publisher of mysteriousworld.com. And Doug, um, the Ark of the Covenant, if God created Adam and Eve first... And if we look back through archaeological times to understand that the best that Adam and Eve could have been were Neanderthal when they become became hominoids with no idea of speech, how would they communicate even using the Ark of the Covenant with God? The, uh, my theory is that... Uh Adam and Eve were actually the, only the most recent of a series of, of created beings. Uh, the, the fallen angels have been experimenting with various types of human-type creatures for a long time. Uh, if you were to blend the 
say, the Book of Enoch with uh, mm-hmm. modern archaeology, it would appear that there were various different types of human-like hominids in existence long time prior to Homo sapiens. And, of course, we are assuming, as you alluded, that uh, uh, modern humans are, or Adam and Eve were Homo sapiens. They could have been Neanderthal. We have no idea uh, if they existed at all, which we cannot prove. Is, is but uh, it, how they communicate is, mm-hmm. uh, in the Book of Enoch, uh, all language, literature, and everything was taught to mankind by the fallen angels, not by God. Uh, they came down and taught us everything, arts, sciences, language, speech. Some have uh, assumed that maybe we had telepathic abilities before mm-hmm. we learned to speak. It's not clear. Um, but, yeah, it's a, that's a good question. There are a lot of questions about, you know, who was Cain's wife and, sure. and uh, you know, how did they reproduce without having the gene pool degraded. I think that there was just, uh, I actually think Eden was actually more... Um, like a biodome kind of situation where it was in a, in a laboratory where God was creating humans out of, out of test tubes initially, and then they, were, then they bred with each other afterwards. Is it possible, Doug, that the fallen angels weren't really the bad people or the bad angels that theology has made them out to be? It's possible. It's really a matter of perspective. I mean, if you talk to an occultist, they'll say mm-hmm. they're the good guys. If you talk to a Christian or other monotheistic person, they say they, they were the bad guys. In my opinion, you can tell a tree by its fruits. True. Uh, if, if they are indeed the same as the, the kind of the a- aliens we're seeing now in these modern times, and I would say they're the bad guys because gray aliens are most definitely not the friends of mankind. Even someone who has a basic understanding of uh, the alien uh, agenda it makes clear that humans are just camel cannon fodder to them. They don't care about us, and they use us and throw us away at their pleasure. So if, that were, if they are the fallen angels, I I want nothing to do with them. <laughs> you know, the the Ark of the Covenant brings up, a, a, opens up a can of worms when we're talking about a communication device with God. The, you know, well, this would then ask the question: Well, where is God that He actually needs a communication device, and how does it work? My theory is that God is—they uh, call Satan the prince of the power of the air, primarily because he's able to, as it were, jam God's signal. Uh, God is kind of trying to constantly get through to us. But Satan is thwarting him. Mm-hmm. So we, he had to create this device in order to communicate, to punch through the uh, the jam, jamming signal, if you will. It sounds sounds it sounds unusual. I mean, I just think an all-powerful God would be able to do anything. But I think we're dealing with kind of a bubble in, in space-time. It's a very temporary situation where Satan temporarily has the illusion of free will. And we, get, we can get back into uh, some pretty deep thoughts here. But basically... It's a battle that's temporary that's going on, and Satan has created a bubble of a protective bubble for himself that temporarily protects him and keeps us separate from God, but God will punch through it. But see, the Ark of the Covenant was created as a temporary uh, means of communication with mankind until a more permanent solution could be created, and I believe that was Jesus was intended to be that permanent solution. And that's why he's often compared to the Ark of the Covenant in the Scripture, because the Ark of the Covenant was a a foreshadowing of Christ, a, a means of communicating with the Father. Uh, but this this time, Jesus is a more permanent way. When he comes back, that communication will never be broken again. Doug, you, uh, you and I were talking about Mount, Mount Sinai before, and uh, it, it, are, are people showing a greater interest in the in the uh, Holy Land these days? It's uh, it's been diminishing, I would say, a little bit because of the, the terrorist threat. But places like Israel and Egypt are still still very uh, interesting to tourists. So 
some of the other places are, of course, off limits, but Israel and Egypt are perennial favorites because of the Bible and, of course, of the Egyptology. It's the great romance of Egypt, and, of course, something like the Ark of the Covenant, which is a little bit of both, is a particularly interesting subject, so that's one of the reasons I like to, to look at it from, a, from both a archaeological and a travel perspective. Uh, Sarabit al-Qadim is actually a travel destination, but only for rugged, for hardy tourists. I would only go there if you were part of a a group and with a, a, a seasoned guide because the facilities out there are pretty crude. But if you are interested in really ancient Egyptology and the Bible, uh, Sarabit al-Qadim would be the ultimate location because it's not only the location of Mount Sinai, in my opinion, it's also the location of the Garden of Eden. Interesting. Many of the uh, the uh, mythology surrounding Sarabit al-Qadim, very similar to Mesopotamian and Egypt, Egypt's ancient Egyptological uh, mythologies. For example, the, in uh, the uh, the Hathor temple there, which was very ancient, even by the time of Moses, it was originally a Semitic temple which had been taken over by the Egyptians and the Hathor priests and a group of uh, people called the Amalekites, which literally means lordly people. Uh, my theory is that the Amalekites were actually a group of Aryans, uh, uh, tall Germanic types who came from the north, the giants, and came as far south as Sinai and uh, were hired by the Egyptians to guard uh, the Hathor Temple there because uh, it's a fact of history that uh, these, there was a group of people down there called the worshippers of Subtu, which was an Egyptian god similar to Horus. Mm-hmm. And they were tall, gigantic people who were tasked to guard Sinai, particularly the turquoise mines of Serbid al-Qadim and, of course, the um, Hathor Temple there. And it, it was interesting that uh, the the uh, Israelites, right before they came up to Mount Sinai, were attacked by a group of people called the Amalekites. And in my theory is that these people were basically ancient Nazis who were guarding this temple and had taken it over from a previous group of Semites, probably the, um, the Ishmaelites, uh, uh, led by uh, uh, Moses' father-in-law, uh, Rule, I think his name was. And so basically the, uh, the Israelites were retaking back uh, this ancient Semitic temple, which was also a location in the Garden of Eden, and possibly also the burial place of the fallen angel Azazel. I have a theory about that as well. Um, but that's a little deep here for now, but I just wanted to drop that just out of curiosity for your, for your So, Doug, Doug, is it possible then, or am I understanding right, that the... The Nazi reign may go back well into biblical times. Yes, uh, like I said, Amalekites literally means kingly or lordly people. Mm-hmm. Um, means people, and Melek means king or, or lord. And uh, uh, some rabbis think this is true as well, and it explains why God says that the Amalekites will have war with them from generation to generation, which means until the end of time. And uh, I found an interesting—I think it was Psalm, one of the Psalms. I forget which one it is. Offhand, it might be seventy-two where uh, a psalmist was describing the destruction of uh, temples, Jewish temples in Israel and harkened back to the time of Mount Sinai when something similar happened. And it would appear that uh, it was, it was, it was the, when I went into the, the Hebrew, it was talking about broken glass, mm-hmm. smashed down synagogues, just like the Kristallnacht of the German, of the 19, late 1930s Germany. It was very, it was eerily and chillingly similar. My theory is that there was a temple on Mount Sinai uh, which was dedicated to El Shaddai, which uh, was the original god before he would re- reveal himself as Yahweh. And that temple was destroyed by the Amalekites, just like the Germans would do to the synagogues in 1939. And, of course, in, in ancient Israel, um, I think it was probably around six or 700 B.C. 
So there's a repeating pattern between the war, a war between the guy, the uh, Israelites and the Malachites, which is constantly repeated throughout history. And we cover that, and uh, we'll be covering that in our summer edition of the Exodus Revelation. Very interesting uh, and uh, rather chilling revelation about the uh, an ancient war between a Germanic tribe and the Israelites. One eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My name is Rob McConnell, and this is the Exxon on the Talk Star Radio Network. Doug Elwell is our special guest, and he is the publisher of Mysterious World. The website is www.mysteriousworld.com. As you were taking your various courses and uh, studies in theology and uh, the ancient biblical text in the Old Testament. What were you learning? What do you feel you were learning? Were you on a mission? I don't know. I always felt like I was I was meant to be there. It was, when I was studying Hebrew, you know, I never felt as, as complete before or since as complete a man as when I was studying Hebrew. And I particularly want to remember one winter morning when there was a heavy dusting of snow on the outside window. It was just I just feel like I thought I was meant to be doing that. And there's something about the white powder. I realize now what, why, but some of the white powder, it, 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 it was, I think it was an ancient memory of the monatomic gold. Somehow it was an important, monatomic gold, I think, is the key to prophecy. And, uh, I, we get into that into our, into our, um, in our story, Exodus Revelation. But I believe Philip Gardner was correct. The monatomic gold was the power source for the ark. And it was the main ingredient for the shefa bread, also known as the showbread, that the Israelites and the Egyptian priests ate in order to gain uh, spiritual insight and knowledge and, and have basically contact with the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very interesting idea. And it was, it was, it was a fact that the showbread was necessary for the priests to eat that before they had contact with God. Otherwise, the ark would kill them. If they weren't properly dressed up in the proper uh, garments and hadn't gone through the correct rituals and eaten special bread, the ark would kill them. In fact, uh, the high priest would have a rope tied around his leg in case the ark killed him so they could drag him out of there. Otherwise, the ark would kill whoever came in to get him. So it was a bit of a problem. So it was a very interesting, the ark was a very powerful object. And like I said, its main, main purpose was for communications, but it could also be used for terrible destruction of when I was talking about earlier with the, the Eye of Rhea, the, uh, if we have a few minutes, I can tell you sure. the story. Yeah, we've got about uh, three minutes. Okay, this is a very important and critical story to understanding this. The Eye of Rhea story, the Eye of Rhea was the uh, basically the solar disk which sat on the head of uh, the most powerful Egyptian deities, mm-hmm. uh, which was flanked on either side by two horns. Now, this Eye of Rhea was actually used by the god Rhea to see anything he wanted to. and It also gave him insight into all knowledge. But if, if it also gave him the ability to heal or to destroy, uh, it could have two different, what would be called modes, the, the uh, angry mode uh, where it became like Sekhmet, which is the goddess of destruction, and the healing mode which where it became like Hathor, who is the goddess of good times and, and of healing and of health. And in the story, uh, the Eye of Ray, basically I'll summarize, one day uh, uh, Ray was becoming old and men made fun of him because of his gray hair. So he sent forth the Eye of Ray to punish men. And the Eye of Ray would become like Sekhmet, and it started lancing out fire. Uh, it was, literally, it was this, uh, this uh, headdress would fly off of his head and fly around Egypt and kill people with fire. And he'd killed thousands of Egyptians until 
Ray said, okay, that's enough, that's enough, come back, but the, the eye wouldn't come back. So in order to uh, stop the eye, the, the Theban, I think it was the Theban priests, suggested they, they, they color a, several hundred barrels of beer with red ochre and pour it out so it looks like there's a red river of blood. And when the eye saw this, it came down to drink it. But when it drank the beer, it became drunk, as it were, and it turned from Sekhmet into Hothor. And then it stopped killing and again started to bless mankind. And I thought that was interesting because um, that uh, that was kind of similar to how the Ark of the Covenant sometimes behaved. Hmm. Uh, it, would be, it was able to move around by itself. People don't know this, but Moses could uh, tell it to go forth by itself without the help of the Levites carrying it. And it also shot out fire. And also from the cherubim, lightning could plant out to kill people as well. And uh, normally when I was held in, in the tabernacle, it would send out kind of these healing radiance as well. Not Doug, stand by. Said. We've got to take our final break for this hour. Doug Elwell is our special guest, www.mysteriousworld.com. Still to come on tonight's show, Stan Romanick is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about close encounters, scientific proof, UFOs, and aliens are real. And then in our final hour, April Sharon talking about no awakenings. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon Live and Around the World on Talkstar. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, I'm Larry Lawson, host of Paranormal Stakeout. With over 36 years in law enforcement, I have learned a few things. The most important is the proper gathering and preservation of evidence is vital to putting the bad guy behind bars. It's no different in the world of paranormal investigation, whether it's the search for the afterlife, cryptozoology, UFOs, and extraterrestrials. How we gather the evidence, preserve that evidence, and present it to a jury of our peers will make the ultimate difference in proving the existence of worlds and entities that are beyond our imagination. Join me, Larry Lawson, every week on Paranormal Stakeout when, along with my guests, we'll take a journey to prove with indisputable evidence what man has struggled to believe for centuries. Go to xzbn.net for the broadcast schedule and check me out at paranormalstakeout.com. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. 
Welcome back, everyone. Doug Elwell is our special guest, www.mysteriousworld.com. And, uh, Doug, where can our listeners get copies of Mysterious World Ireland? You can go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, Borders.com, pretty much anything online. You can order through your bookstore. Just ask for Mysterious World Ireland or make sure to type in the entire title if you're, if you're searching for it at Amazon or whatever. Uh, you could uh, view the website for uh, Mysterious World Island at ireland.mysteriousworld.com, or you can do, uh, view our regular website uh, where you can learn about the Exodus Revelation and lots of other fun stuff at www.mysteriousworld.com. Doug, you know it's so interesting talking to you. Not only are you a publisher, but you're a th- you're, you know you've taken so many courses. You're you're, you're very very well versed in the Bible and the ancient text. And uh, one of our listeners has asked me to ask you for your inter- interpretation or what do you believe the angels of old are? The angels are uh, basically spirit beings, as far as I know, who live at a higher level of, of reality, a higher dimension, possibly a completely different way of, of a form of existence. Uh, they occasionally come down in our, into our world in order to interact with mankind, but I think there's kind of a a prime directive similar to that of Star Trek, and, as in do not interfere, because we as humans have our own destinies to to uh, to work through, and which will determine our eternal destinies. And if we uh, if we if we make the wrong decisions down here, it will have eternal consequences. I won't preach the gospel on your show, but as a Christian, I believe there's only one way uh, through Jesus. Yeah. One of our other listeners would like me to ask you if you believe that we are in the end times as talked about in the book of uh, Revelations. I absolutely do think that. I think we're in, in the final phase of immediate pre-tribulational period. I cannot prove it. Uh, there have been many people who have been, said that and have been wrong. So I've given up on date setting even trying to think about it. I try to remain positive and uh, try to be a beneficial force while I'm on earth try to make enlightenment to mankind to be a good witness to my family and to my God. Um, but I do believe that. I think uh, I think it take a positive aspect to it. I don't think of it in terms of it's something bad. I think of it as a moment of pain before a thousand years of peace and justice. That's what I think we should be looking towards and be focusing our hopes on, uh, a situation where we can trust our leadership and we'll, mankind will once again love one another and make war no more. Doug, it's always great having you on the show. Thanks very much for joining your time with us. And I look forward to the next time when you join us back here in the X-Zone. So until then, take care, my friend. You too. Doug Elwell, www.mysteriousworld.com. That's www.mysteriousworld.com. Now, in the next hour, we are going to be joined by Stan Romanek. We're going to be talking about Close Encounters scientific proof UFOs and aliens are real. Are you a believer or a skeptic? Give me a call at one 877 if you have any questions for our next guest, Stan Romanek. And in the final hour of tonight's show, April Sheeran is going to be talking about new awakenings. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network. A place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. And then the show is repeated in its entirety from 2 a.m. until 6 a.m. The Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell, continues on the other side of this news break at six and a half minutes past. From our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on Talkstar.